Tonight, I'd like to say some things to you that will hope, hopefully clear up some issues, um, some confusion, perhaps some rumors that have been swirling about. Um, first of all, you need to hear how sorry I am for the pain and the hurt and the confusion that you must be feeling tonight and have all week after this last week's announcement. I'm sorry for that. It did come as a shock. It came as a shock to me. I had no prior knowledge of it. Uh, no one on the board had any knowledge at all that this was coming. I heard it when I got a phone call on the way to church in Southern California, and my first reaction is, it can't be. I was shocked. This is what I would have called the worst case scenario. It's the last thing I wanted to happen, especially to such a wonderful young couple, a gifted and anointed man and woman of God. I honestly wanted Pete to succeed. And I myself, and I believe all of his leadership around him, both on this staff and on the board, were not against him, but very much for him. Now, we had a meeting, in fact, Pete and Angie and Lenny and myself, out at uh, a little restaurant in Dana Point a couple weeks ago and discussed some issues. I thought it was very positive, very encouraging. And that's why, after that meeting, I was so shocked at what I heard this weekend. Um... I understand that God has the absolute freedom and liberty to call anyone, anywhere, at any time. I understand that a person may feel led to leave and be a part of something else. I just wish that others could have been a part of that process, that others were included in that process, that his staff, that the leadership, and that the board could have been included in that process. I will say that it wasn't the right way to leave a church, and that's the truth. You need to know that because of the collateral damage that it does to a flock. Now, having said that, I want to wish, and we want to wish, Pete and Angie God's highest, God's best, and to thank Pete and Angie from the bottom of our hearts for, wait a minute, for two stellar, solid years of pouring themselves into this fellowship, and I wish you'd all stand with me to give them that recognition. And Pete and Angie, if you're listening, we want you to know that's from our hearts. And let's take a minute, just a moment to pause in prayer for them. 
for God's blessing upon their life. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this tremendously gifted, insightful pair, this couple that have poured their vision, their lives into this flock the last two years. We do pray, Father, that the doors would be apparent to them, would swing wide open, and that they would see this later on as just a wonderful, though difficult, transition that came from you. They've expressed they don't know where that is. We pray you'd make it clear, direct every step. We pray, Lord, that you'd pour out your abundant blessing upon them and comfort their hearts and quell and calm their fears and strengthen them. Give them courage for the work that you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, why am I here? I didn't expect to be here, but I am. Couple reasons. And I'll give you by way of analogy. If you're a parent, you'll understand this. It's like having two children. The firstborn has grown solid and strong and gone out on its own. And you hear wonderful reports. The second child is much newer, much younger, more frail at first, more difficult. Personalities is decidedly different. But as time goes on and as prayer and energy is poured in, that child begins to grow and to thrive and to gain momentum and it becomes awfully exciting all over again to see a new person develop into somebody strong. Well, that's what it's like for us and this church and the church where I pastor in California, Ocean Hills. This is our firstborn. Our second born is doing great and thriving and people are coming to Christ and it's growing and there's new services being added. But when you get a phone call one Sunday morning that your firstborn got run over by a truck and is in ICU, you drop everything in life to go to the bedside of that child. Now, I don't know if you recall two years ago, but the... Um, Saturday and Sunday that I announced my departure from Albuquerque, I made a promise to you. I said, I'll not, I will not, I quoted what Jesus said, I will not leave you orphaned, but that I would come to you. Now, I didn't know exactly what that meant, other than I'd be back from time to time. <laughs> and this is one of those times. Also, besides that caring part, that fatherly part, like Paul the Apostle said, you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have only one father. Besides that, I'm also chairman of the board of this fellowship, and I have a responsibility to fulfill as part of that process. So the question then is, how long am I going to be here? Well, I'm here tonight. And tonight is part of the process. I came in Monday, as did a lot of people. And... Uh, I want to be a part of a healing process and a now what Lord process, because honestly, I'm with you going now what Lord, you need to know that, but you also need to know something. This is the Lord's church. 
you're going to be just fine. So I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. And in a little bit, we're going to break up in groups and we're going to pray after we're done with these remarks and a little study in the word. But I also want you to know something. I've gotten calls for the last two days nonstop from leaders around this country, leaders that you've seen in this pulpit over the years, some lower profile, some pretty high profile, all of them saying, we stand with you, we're praying for you, we're praying for Albuquerque. The church in Ocean Hills, one of the elders of our board called, the church there was started in his home 25 years ago, and he said, Skip, I'm going to call the church to a day of fasting and prayer. The whole church to fast and pray for Albuquerque. So know that people around this country know what's going on and love you and are praying for you. I also know that um, Satan would love to destroy this flock. Make no mistake about it. Satan has been a liar from the beginning, a deceiver from the beginning. Jesus called his true colors and said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He even said to Peter, Peter, Satan's been asking for you. He wants to wipe you out. Now, if I'd have heard that from Jesus, my first question would be, what'd you tell him? <laughs> we know we have an enemy. We're not ignorant of his devices. And um, I'll tell you this, too. And this is from years of ministry experience, as well as what you and I both know in the Bible. Satan has helpers. Some of them mean well. But if you recall the parting words of Paul the Apostle in Acts chapter 20 to the elders of Ephesus as he stood on the shores of Miletus and he said, I am now leaving, announced his departure. He said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. Now, that's just a given. Anything God loves, Satan hates. Anytime God works, there's a counterattack. And that's just the reality, and I'm just going to say, get used to it. At the same time, I'm honestly glad about that. I'd much rather have the devil as my enemy than as my friend. And the fact that he attacks and is against, it's like, hallelujah. Rather have that happen than for the Lord to not be blessing. The Bible also says that he who answers a matter before he hears it, you know the rest of the verse, it's a folly and a shame to him. It's saddening, but since yesterday I've heard all sorts of disturbing, saddening rumors about leaders, leaders in this church, staff pastors in this church, the board, myself. It's been suggested that some of the leaders on the staff and the board, and especially myself, have somehow restricted the past, restricted Pete in decision-making in the past. In the last two years, this ministry has been expanding. There has been expenditures made. There has been people hired. Not only did I not control that, I didn't know anything about it. So I honestly don't know where the restriction comes from. And I don't think the board knows where the restrictions come from. And um, 
I guess I would just like to ask, how did any of the leadership here or any of the board hinder anything since the fruit is the fruit? There are some men who have flown in to be a part of this tonight, and they've just come because they, they love you. They've been a part of this fellowship to some extent, some degree, either as past uh, staff members, pastoral staff members, or, or board members. And so I'm going to ask you guys if you'd come up and you can uh, introduce yourselves and then uh, share your remarks. Some you'll recognize, probably all you will. Um, they've spoken to you on different occasions. Some of you will remember way, way back to a couple guys that at that time didn't have gray hair. Well, you may know me. My name is Dave Rao. And I will say that I'm very proud to be with you here tonight. This is the church. And it's been mentioned, we love the leadership in this fellowship. And I had the privilege for the last two years to work under Pete and serve alongside him every day. Our office is so close, and I count it an honor. But in the same respect, there are a lot of folks that I have come to love and honor in my life, and one of those especially is uh, the big tall guy, uh, Skip Heidsick, who many years ago, I was a young guy coming to this fellowship, sitting back there in some jeans, and I'd come up after service, and asked for help and asked questions about the Bible. And something sparked in me. And just like a lot of these fellows, there is something dynamic and amazing going on here. But there's also something going on, which you should realize is very common and very real and it's natural. And that is, there's not always agreement on things, is there? How many of you are married? Amen. My wife has her hands raised twice. Anyway. (laughs) But at the end of the day, there is solidarity in this room. There is solidarity in this staff. We have been in meetings, the pastoral staff, along with the board, just hours upon hours and going over issues and praying together and pouring our hearts out. And I can tell you, from someone who is here and not going anywhere, that this church and this pastoral staff and this board and this leadership and Skip himself not only grieved, but excited, knowing that nothing can conquer the work and the sovereign hand of a mighty God. And so, amen. And so... As you and I process all of the waves of of speculation and I heard so-and-so said this, let me just admonish you as a friend and a member of this fellowship. Only say what will glorify Christ. The Scripture says we should be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. It's my privilege to be with you tonight and thank you.
My name is Robert Furrow. I'm from Calvary Chapel of Tucson. For those of you who don't know me, thank you. It was 20 years ago this last October that I left staff at Calvary Chapel. Long time ago. I don't have as much gray hair as some others who have been here for, for that long. And I want to say, first of all, that I was not asked to be here. As soon as I heard what you guys faced on Sunday morning, which for me was Sunday afternoon when I got home from church and the news hit me, even like it hit some of you, just so hard, like, oh, no. I immediately began to pray. I called up Gino. I was able to talk to Skip. And uh, I asked him if I could come out because I wanted to be here with you. I wanted you guys to know that that I love you, that we are uh, we're praying for you, that we see you guys as a parent church. I don't know if most of you guys know how Calvary Chapel of Tucson got started uh, 20 years ago now in October. Uh, Skip had been on the radio in Tucson. Uh, I had come in with Skip and I was on staff as the youth pastor. In fact, I believe I was the first youth pastor. Is that correct? So I was. No, that wasn't. No, I didn't mean that. But yeah, yeah. I was a youth then and a youth pastor. And um, and and I came in to talk to Skip just about what I was going to do and where I was going to go. And and Skip encouraged me to go to Tucson. So we put together a radio rally where we went down and Roby Duke played. And Skip got up and spoke and some people came forward and we told him he brought me up and prayed for me and said, we're going to start a church here. And 20 years later, there is a thriving church in Tucson with two different campuses, which we don't always want, by the way. We'd love there to be one. But with two different campuses and people getting saved week by week. And it is all an outreach of what God has done here and what God has done in my life through a man that came along and helped me at a particular time. And this is not to praise Skip for what he's done in my life, but you guys know this. God uses men. And God has used Skip in my life. And what I know about this man, well, it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, that by this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us and that we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Skip would lay down his life for you. I also know that there are dissenters. I know there are people who are gleeful and happy over what has taken place here. But I'll ask you, is that love? The Bible says, if we say we love God, but hate our brothers, we lie and we deceive ourselves. Those of you who are happy at what is taking place here, shame on you. Shame, 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 as Gomer Pyle would say. It is a heartbreaking turn of events. Heartbreaking for me, heartbreaking for Skip, heartbreaking for Pete, heartbreaking for Angie. It's heartbreaking for you. But we also have our eyes on Jesus. And we know that this is what he is doing. And we will keep our eyes on the skies. And we will wait for his return. God bless you. Oh, my name is Gino Geraci. I'm the pastor of Calvary in Denver, Colorado. And 
I gotta warn you right up front, I'm a crier. You know what? Why don't you go first, Paul? <laughs> My name is Paul Skazafava. I'm the pastor of Calvary Santa Fe. <laughs> and I'm not a crier. <laughs> Paul, why don't you come up? Two and a half years ago, I went up to Santa Fe and uh, didn't know what to expect. And boy, did I not know what to expect. <laughs> but I've seen God do in two and a half years miracles. I've seen him take a church that was severed and split and divisive and, oh man, and put it back together. And that's what's going on in Santa Fe. There's other little fellowships out there. Praise the Lord for them. I want to glorify God for that. But I guess what I want to say to you this evening is, is that God is on the throne. And I know that that can be a cliche. I understand that. You know, oh, yeah, we've heard that before. But what is more worthwhile in life than Christ? You know, the way I look at it is that life is way too short. You know, I mean, Gino's really gray. I'm kind of I'm kind of getting there, you know, but life is too short to be, you know, worried about what's going to happen because God could call us tonight. And I'm sure all of you would pray that the rapture would take place within the next 30 seconds <laughs> so that we can just and we can all be transformed and be with Christ, which is awesome. But if the Lord tarries. How will you be involved in the healing process? I think each individual here tonight needs to ask that question. What can I do, Lord, in the gifts that you've given me to bless those who are around me? Unity is hard to come by, but the Bible speaks often of unity. Jesus said, you'll know that they're my disciples by the what? By the love that they have one another. Love hopes all things. Love believes all things. Love holds no record of wrong. Love never fails. So love one another right now. Keep your eyes on the prize, which is glorifying God in all that you do. Because brothers and sisters, whether you know it or not, that is the only reason why we breathe breath tonight, is to bring glory to his name. Amen? Can I get an amen? All right, I'll be okay this time. And don't let the white hair fool you, I am old. <laughs> Part of the challenge that I have when I go to get my hair cut, I just say, please don't make me look like a former famous president. <laughs> I'm the pastor of Calvary in, Albu in Albuquerque, in, in Littleton, Colorado. I was a pastor here in Albuquerque for many years. My family and I came here in 1984 and then in 1985. 
My son Anthony, who's out here in the audience, came to this church when he was two years old. And he still goes to this church. He's 22 years old. So if you're wondering if we have a connection to this church, from 1985 to 1991, I served with a great privilege this church and with Skip Heitzig. Some of you know me. Most of you don't. In 1991, um, I had the great privilege of going to South Denver and Littleton and under the leadership and instruction, support, and encouragement of this church, God blessed our fellowship. And um, our, our church is doing so very, very well. Uh, many of you have prayed for us, and some of you have visited us. Our church is just doing really well. In 1999, we had a tragedy. It was called Columbine. And during that time of tragedy, you stepped forward. Scores and scores of you came to Littleton in order to minister to our church and pray with us and minister to us and encourage us and strengthen us. You divided the sorrow. I've had the privilege of knowing Skip Heitzig since I was 13 years old. Now you do the math. <laughs> we've grown up together. We've walked together. We've ministered together. We've been able to encourage one another and strengthen one another. Those of you who know Skip know that one of his favorite passages that God takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, it says, But we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are weak. We are empty. We are spent. But we've come here to divide your sorrow now, to strengthen you, encourage you. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, Verse 2, that we were to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Jesus Christ. You know, what the, that's, that is the law of Jesus Christ, that we love each other. And so we're here now with you to divide your sorrow, but also knowing that we will soon share your joy. God loves you. Fellowships all across this country are praying for you. We're committed to you. We will walk with you, we will pray with you, and like you, we will have some liquid tears from time to time. But know this, that our heart is with you. And so, again, we're here to encourage you, pray for you, minister to you, support you. We're going to, see, we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus, looking to him, the author and the finisher of our faith. God bless you guys. Well, I don't have a radio show. I don't pastor any churches. I don't know why I followed all these pastors, but there must be a reason for it. Um, I am a board member and have been for over 10 years for this fellowship. And I want to tell you, two years ago, I was the board member that stood up here to tell you about the board's decision to honor Skip and send him to California, to Ocean Hills. I also want to tell you something I didn't tell you then, and that that decision was very difficult for your board. It was a decision that we didn't understand, we were unsure of, but we trusted God. 
We were sure that Skip's heart was first and foremost to please God and to honor God. To go back and honor his pastor. To be there for his mother who was aging. And to help a hurting church. And we honored him unanimously as a board. But we had some expectations of that honoring. For we did not know Pete. Skip did. But we knew that this congregation was strong. That it was rich in its maturity. We knew also that if Skip could honor the board and stay attached to the board, that that would make it more palatable for us. All of us unanimously wanted Skip to stay active, involved, and to continue to chair this board. We did not know for what reason, but we prayed, and that was our request. This week as I came back, I have been mindful of what I have seen. What we knew two years ago of this flock has been seen for the last 48 hours like you cannot imagine. The maturity, the love, and the care. And as I traveled back with Skip and Linya on the plane, as we were all brokenhearted for the reason we were coming back, I also remembered the other reason that we trusted in the decision of two years ago. And these last two days, I want to reassure you of one thing. Your pastoral staff are made up of the most mature, godly men that I have ever had the pleasure to serve alongside of. And you all need to be so grateful that they are standing in the gap for you tonight. I never expected to come back under these conditions. I must say it's the first time I've ever stood in this pulpit where I didn't have to somehow adjust the mic lower. I want you to know that this board is here because we love you. This board, as the board for the last two years, unanimously supported the decisions that have been made and honored the leadership of this church for the last two years to operate, to function, and to do what was put on the pastoral staff and Pete and Angie's heart. I am grateful to be here. I am humbled to be here. And I pray, as has been said by each of the pastors before me, that each of us, each of us, remember deeply that the world, and I mean the world, is watching how we behave. 
And they are hoping beyond hope that we behave like them. And my prayer to you as a board member for over ten years is that we shine the love of Christ in all that we do. May God bless you. You know, I had to ask for water. I'd forgotten how dry it is around these parts. So, I want to share a few things out of the Word with you tonight. It won't be long because I think what we ought to do is close off by getting on our knees and praying and seeking the Lord's will. If it is the Lord's church, He said if you lack wisdom, you can ask of God. He gives liberally. He won't hold back. But ask in faith, nothing wavering. And that we'd receive from the Lord. So we want to do that tonight. But I want to share a few words before we do. For a number of years, there were a group of prophets raised up in Israel who went about speaking to the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah that they needed to turn back to the Lord because they had strayed away from those core spiritual values. In fact, the prophet said, if you don't turn back, the Lord's going to take you into captivity. Well, they didn't listen to them, and you know the rest of the story. 722 B.C. rolls around, and the Assyrians come in and plunder the northern kingdom, and the ten northern tribes are taken eastward to Assyria. The southern kingdom of Judah, made up of two tribes, continued for about 150 more years, relatively unscathed, though following in the same kind of footsteps as her northern sister, Israel. And, as promised, 586 B.C. rolls around, and the Babylonians surround Jerusalem and take those people captive. They remain in Babylon for a heartbroken 70-year period, thinking it's all over. This is the end. But God always promised them that He would restore them. God always said, and He wrote even letters to them through His prophets, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. You've got a future. You've got a hope. So, after 70 years, under a guy by the name of Cyrus, the Persian, The Jews are allowed to come back, and they come back. Not a lot of them, only 50,000 of them. The rest basically were comfortable in Babylon. They stayed. But 50,000 came back excited, energetic. They're going to build the temple. They're going to build the city. This is a new day. Great excitement, great teamwork. They marched ahead. However, in their excitement, even though the hand of God had brought them back, They hit a few snags. Let me tell you about those snags and see if any of you can relate. Snag number one, comparison. They started, not all of them, but some of them, comparing the past with the present. Now, there they were, building in the rubble the temple foundations, and that's all they had were the foundations. But with the temple foundations, they prayed a wonderful prayer of dedication. Lord, this is your house. We want to worship you in this place. 
And the crowd went wild with excitement. That is, the younger people in the crowd. There was another group in the crowd who had been around long enough to remember Solomon's temple and how grand it was and incredible it was. And they were comparing what it used to be like under Solomon with what it is like now. And these older guys started wailing and mourning out loud. And the Bible says the sound of the mourning and the sound of the praising, you couldn't distinguish between the two. There was just this confusion. So that was the first snag, comparison of the past with the present. Snag number two was subversion. Yeah, what, what happened is a group of people called the enemies of Judah came up and this is what they said. We want to help you build. We'd love to come alongside of you. We're in this work together. And the leadership in Judah had enough discernment to say, you will have no part of this. So, the Bible says that they, the enemies, hired counselors to frustrate their work. So, dissension and confusion and division. The work stopped. And I'll tell you why it stopped. Those enemies that were hired to frustrate the people wrote a letter to Ahasuerus, who was the Persian emperor at the time. Cyrus had passed away. Ahasuerus filled his shoes and made up a bunch of rumors about the Jews in Judea and how they're building. And so he wrote a letter back and said, then stop the building. So they stopped. And all of that excitement, all of that momentum was pretty much over. Now, whenever any work is attempted for God, it's going to have opposition, like we mentioned. Always. Whenever you turn on the lights, the bugs come. And a light was turned on in Judea, and the bugs came. So, comparison and subversion. There was a third snag, disillusion. The people had spent so much energy and time and effort into this building of these foundations, and now it's stopped. And they started getting so discouraged and so disillusioned at the process that, you know what happened? They started turning to their own affairs, their own homes, their own buildings, and they neglected the temple of God. So God raised up a couple great guys just at the right time. One was named Haggai. And Haggai was pretty straightforward. He basically came right out of the chutes and said, Listen, you who say it's not time to build the house of the Lord, is it time to build your own house? In other words, now's not the time to rest. This is the time to plow ahead and work. There was another guy who was a contemporary of Haggai. His name was Zechariah. Very different kind of ministry. Uh, the Lord gave him a whole lot of visions. In fact, between chapters 1 and 6, there are eight visions, revelations that God gives to him. The fifth one is to me the most exciting. There is the prophet Zechariah and he sees this vision. Now he's awake. There are dreams and there are visions. Dreams happen when you're asleep. Visions, you see the same things, but you're awake. He was awake. 
And there was an angel of the Lord involved, and the angel showed him something. And, and then the angel, you know, I don't know why, but asked Zechariah, what is it? As if he knew. I'll tell you what he saw. He saw basically an automated menorah. Do you know what the menorah is? The seven-branched golden candelabra that was in the temple. The priests had to get up every day and keep it going, had to light those torches every day. Well, in this vision, Zechariah sees that menorah that was in the temple. But then above it, there were little pipes that went to two bowls on either side that had olive oil in these receptacles that piped the oil automatically down into these seven vials. On either side of those bowls were two olive trees. So the angel challenged him. You know what this is? Zechariah was honest. Nope. He said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. You say, who's Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel was the governor of Jerusalem. And his friend was Joshua the high priest. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. What you see here, this automated menorah where oil is coming in, of its own accord, no human agency, no human is doing this work. This is automatic. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. That was revolutionary. And here was the whole idea. I know you're beat up and I know you're discouraged, but I'm going to correct your mistake. And how did God do that? Well, through this vision. First of all, God corrected their first snag. And their first snag was comparison, right? The past to the present. So God cured it. said, look past the past and the present and look into the future. Get your eyes off the past. Don't worry about the present. But if you only knew what I had in store for you, and God described the millennial temple. Listen, if you thought it was good under Solomon... And you're whining about it now. Where do you see what I got in the future? So God solved the first problem by getting their focus off the past, off the present, off the comparison into the future. We said the second snag was subversion. But that vision also changed that perspective. The Lord was basically saying that rather than worrying about the subversion and the human attack, you ought to worry about submission to my divine resources. All you have to do is hang in there, Zerubbabel. Hang in there, Joshua, because this is the day of small beginnings. Don't despise it. I've got something greater in store. And the third snag, which is disillusion, was again cured by that beautiful vision. Rather than being disillusioned at this mess, Now's the time to be dedicated to ministry. Oh, but I'm so disillusioned. This is a mess. Okay, the solution is a dedication to the work. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a time to sit down and weep. And you've been doing that. And it's going to continue, I have a hunch, for a while. And you know what? You're entitled to that. And there is that time to sit down and weep. There's also a time to kneel down and pray. 
And we want to do that tonight. And ask the Lord, now what? And after sitting down and weeping and kneeling down and praying, then it's time to stand up and work. And that's what we're going to do after tonight.